Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. We often these days uh, are told that faith has no role in science or in the science teaching, that science deals with the real material world. It deals with what we can uh, observe and know and do experiments on, and therefore uh, God should not come into the picture. There are others who take this further and say, well, again, we need to be able to explain everything without God. If people want to believe in God, that's fair enough, but we, they claim that we have no evidence of God. And as we've talked about in earlier faith and science programs, when you think about it, our thoughts are non-material. Our brain has mass and volume. We can weigh our brain. We can measure its volume. But we can't weigh our thoughts. We can't measure the volume of our thoughts. Our thoughts are non-material. Yet our thoughts can cause our arms and fingers to move and, and through that we can create inventions. We can create works of art. Our thoughts can be translated into physical actions. Now, it's very interesting that the Bible talks about God being non-material. He's, he's spiritual. He's a, a spirit being. So the people that have had a connection with God, that have written the Bible, the authors of the various books in the Bible over uh, approximately nearly a 1,500-year period, wrote their experiences with God down, and they all uh, fit in with one another. They, they, the, the thoughts, um, the expressions remarkably fit in with one another as they describe their personal experiences. Now, these experiences and this connection with God, this answer to prayer, the experiences of seeing angels, of hearing God's voices, these were voice, this was very, very real. Now, when we think about thoughts... We also think about the amazing inventions that, particularly in modern times, that, that we have. Uh, you know, when you think about today what you can do with your mobile phone, your mobile phone can, uh, you can tap on it and go on to Google Earth or some program like that and see a picture of a friend's house maybe in California or Colorado somewhere else in the world. You can look up information about many, many topics. And so this information has been stored on computers. It's transmitted to you uh, via microwave radiation uh, from little transmitters all over the world and in your local suburb and it's picked up by your mobile phone. And so we have this amazing amount of information now. But the thought that has gone in behind that in in understanding the atomic physics, the chemistry, to be able to build the, com and, uh, the components of your mobile phone, of the transmitter, so that in this tiny device that you have, all this information can be transmitted. What it, uh, how it gets to you, of course, is through microwave radiation. And that uh, is composed of electric and magnetic fields. And those fields, the sh uh, as they uh, move through space, travelling at the speed of light, we are able to encode through our uh, devices that our 
thoughts have generated, we're able to encode those microwaves with information and that information is then received by your mobile phone and translated into a picture or a text message or some sound as you hear someone speaking. And so where do all these ideas come from? Now, many people think that these ideas just, you know, spontaneous, we've, we've systematically developed them. But I, I wonder about that. At the same time as I read the news uh, we've, and, and down through history, we've read about people doing really horrible things. And uh, some years ago, I did a study on the uh, effects of alcohol on people. Now, when people uh, drink alcohol, it actually changes um, the way their brain operates. They become, um, have less inhibitions. And uh, there's been quite a lot of research done in this area. Matter of fact, recently, well, when I say recently, maybe six months ago now, I think, um, somebody published pictures in the changes of facial expressions of people after having just one drink of alcohol. Now, when I studied uh, crimes committed under the influence of alcohol, it was very interesting that people did things that they were abhorrent to Normally, but under the influence of alcohol, they did these things. And the Bible talks about how there are definitely evil spirits operating in this world. And there is a chief of evil spirits, which the Bible refers to as Satan, the fallen angel, Lucifer, whose name was then changed to Satan. And to me, the evidence is through these horrific crimes that the uh, the thoughts to do bad things um, uh, are put there in, in many cases by evil spirits and people choose to do those bad things. On the other hand, I think the way, as I look down through history, that uh, the inventions that have just solely been developed almost seem to be meted out in terms of a particular time length on Earth. Because as we look at our resources, as we look at population growth, as we look at the food supply, and, and the Earth has a limited surface area, we've got a limited amount of fresh water, we've got a limited amount of soil, there are clear limits to uh, our environment being able to sustain a, a population. And we're getting closer and closer to those limits. But as seems that as we get closer to those limits, the uh, uh, scientists make more and more discoveries. I think if uh, you know many of us were simply placed out in the desert, suddenly uh, we might be surrounded by minerals. Uh, we might there might be some coal, or if we're in a remote area, most of us wouldn't know the uh, metallurgy to be able to make then some iron tools or some bronze tools. Um, and uh, and develop the technology that even we read about the, the ancients had. So where do these ideas and thoughts come from? And I, I, I believe personally that there is a lot of evidence that uh, God meters out this, this wisdom and ideas. The other thing too is the uh, events of the, of the world, the decisions that uh, people have made um, we know during the Second World War 
Um, for example, the, the, the German leader Hitler made uh, decisions rather than to invade England to go and, uh, and attack Russia. Uh, and there are a number of, uh, as I've read about war history, there's a, a number of decisions that uh, were made that seemed to work in favour of the Allies in a very strong way at very crucial points, mistakes made by the opposition. And uh, one of the professors of history at Oxford uh, uh, back in the, in the 50s, Professor Butterworth, he pointed out that it almost seems like there's a hand over the history of the world that evil can go so far but then is stopped. Now, you might be asking, what has this to do with science? Well, one of the great scientist that is a hero of mine is James Clark Maxwell. And he was the scientist that first identified that light was a combination of electric and magnetic fields. And he developed a lot of the mathematical understanding of field theory and, um, and our understanding of fields. And what are force fields? You know, some of these things uh, we are so much part of our very everyday life that we, we, we just forget about them. But, but just think about gravity. When you jump, there's something that pulls you down. If, if you step off the edge of your swimming pool, you're pulled down into the water. You can't see that force. You can't normally sort of feel it in a, in a way that, you know, it's, it's uneven. But you know it's there. Um, you, you move a pencil on to the edge of the table and it falls to the ground. So and we talk about this, yes, it's gravity, but what is it? It's a gravitational field. Well, what is that field? That field is, um, is something that exercises a force on anything that has mass. Similarly, there are magnetic fields. Now, we don't normally feel magnetic fields, but if you have a little compass which has a magnetised piece of iron on it and you take it outside, it will deflect and point north because at the present time we can't feel it, but we are all under the influence of a fairly strong magnetic field as well. Now, this, again, is what we call a field, and that field will exert a force on magnetic material or on anything that has an electric current passing through it as well. Now, these are quite amazing effects. What actually are these fields? Now, Maxwell, who did a lot of work understanding this and writing up the mathematics um, that underpins these, was a very, very devout Christian. Uh, he was a, um, a professor, I think he was at Oxford um, or Cambridge, one of those universities, I forget exactly. But he, he spent a lot of time in prayer and it's very interesting that he lived in the latter part of the 1800s and he wrote uh, quite a number of articles and very strongly against the theory of evolution. And he pointed out a number of articles uh, that, uh, that um, again, argued from a scientific point of view that evolution was impossible. And, of course, one of those things is the origin of fields. We talk about the Big Bang Theory, but when people 
um, talk about, you know, sort of this explosion and energy and all these sort of things. For this to happen, you actually have to have fields already in place. There's no explanation for the origin of matter without an explanation for the origin of fields. Where did these fields come from? Where did the... Why do these fields follow particular mathematical laws? Mathematical laws that we have brains that we were able to understand how they operate. And I think to me this provides very, very powerful evidence for the existence of of God, a mind, a mind that just as our minds, obviously our thoughts, uh, well, our minds uh, through which carry our thoughts, our thoughts can produce perhaps what we could call a thought field which influences electric pulses in the brain which affect our nerves and muscles and cause us to be able to do things. So this is sort of really a, a frontier of research, these thought fields. And the same uh, thing can go, of course, then. If God is spirit, then his influence can permeate everything. And, of course, through his thoughts, if we can create works of art and poetry and poems and, and things... Why can't God's thoughts very quickly create the, uh, the universe and beings and different things? And we know when we look at the structure of things in nature, the complexity of them, and yet they all fit together, they work, all the different systems. We think in living organisms from the different enzymes, little switching mechanisms, even in a little humble seed that you spit out of your mouth, an orange seed or an apple seed, that little seed contains unbelievable amounts of information, little codes to switch enzymes on and off to convert uh, one compound into another compound to just at the right time switch on living processes within that cell to cause that cell to sprout and to grow. That cell, that little seed can lie dormant in the ground and not be sprouted for a long period of time until the time, the conditions, the moisture the temperature, the light cycles are just right for that little plant to grow and then it can switch on. How can I know that? Can those mechanisms really arise by chance? Of course not. They would die out. There'd be no reproduction. So the thought to design and to put together those systems, you know, the most brilliant scientists today can't design a seed, let alone write the codes for all the components to make it work. So to me, this provides powerful evidence for this being. Another great scientist that we learn about in, in uh, school and, and university, of course, uh, was uh, Newton, the, uh, the great physicist, Isaac Newton, uh, who discovered and wrote down the laws of motion and the, the laws of gravitational force and, and so forth. Now, what many people don't realise is that Newton also was a great student of the Bible. Matter of fact, he wrote more on the Bible and on particularly on the prophecies in the Bible than he did in the area of physics. And, and this surprises many people. People learn a lot about the laws of physics and what he wrote in his book, uh, Principles of Mechanica, uh, Principle Mechanica, I think, from memory. Um, 
which became a bestseller at the in the 1700s era and spread all through Europe. You know, there were about 20 editions within the first year or two uh, of, his, of his books uh, where he identified the first laws of, of physics and, and showed mathematically uh, how these worked, uh, developed cal- calculus and so forth. But Newton was a great student of the prophecies in the Bible. And this is another uh, very important aspect that, that people overlook. People who wrote the Bible, who prayed, had experiences with God, God revealed part of the future to these people so that these people would have an assurance of what was going to happen, so that they would have the assurance that one day God is going to return and make things right. The Bible talks about how uh, Satan, of course, uh, tempted Adam and Eve and accused God of being a liar and uh, Adam and Eve believed Satan and therefore uh, the dominion of the earth was handed over to Satan. And we can see the effect that he's had, um, how evil arose uh, in the earth and and so forth from that, that time on. But the Bible tells us that God allowed that to happen so that the the universe, other life, the, the other angels, the other beings that exist, not only in our universe but outside our universe, in other space-time systems, could see the effects of evil, the effects of disregarding the basic principles of love, which are the foundations of, of God's kingdom. And so Newton was very interested in studying these prophecies and when they fulfilled because they, they point to a time and they warn us of a time when God will come again uh, to judge what people have done with, with earth, uh, with the earth. We, we've been really put here to be stewards of this beautiful planet and uh, God has promised that those that choose uh, his kingdom, that choose the principle of love and obeying God, and wanting to know him, uh, he will one day uh, take them off this planet. He'll destroy this planet with the wicked uh, who choose the, the ways of the earth and the ways of Satan. And then he will remake this planet uh, again and, uh, and reinstate uh, everyone alive with a new life, with eternal life where there be no death. Um, we know at the present time, as, as Paul describes it, that this body is just a way of enabling our thoughts to be able to do things in practical way. And so God uh, promises that in the future, us, we, who you are is really who your thoughts are. That's, that's you, your thoughts. That will be preserved, but it will be a different body, a body that be immortal, but we will be able to enjoy and, and do things. And this is an amazing, uh, these are amazing prophecies are there. But one of the very fascinating prophecies that uh, was written down by uh, Daniel, um, and uh, a man by the name of Daniel. Now, Daniel had been a, a prince, a, a Jewish prince, when Nebuchadnezzar, the famous Babylonian king who built the uh, hanging gardens of uh, Babylon for uh, his wife um, conquered um, Jerusalem, took Jerusalem, which was thought to be pretty well uh, unconquerable. It uh, was very well fortified, but um, 
Uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, took uh, uh, Jerusalem and, and conquered Israel and Daniel was taken uh, captive. And of course we know the hand gardens of Babylon were cited uh, uh, as uh, uh, by uh, you know, the Greek historians, Herodotus, as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, that famous king that, that, and that brilliant uh, uh, general, uh, brilliant military strategist, had an amazing dream. And, of course, Babylon, we know, is the centre of astronomy and astrology back in those days. And uh, this dream was something like nothing else he had ever had. And he, when he woke up, he couldn't remember it. But he knew it was a really important dream. So he, he said to his advisors, uh, his astrologers and so forth, who claimed to know the future, can you tell me what I, uh, the meaning of this dream? And they said, well, sure, no problem. Just tell us the dream, we'll tell you the meaning. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a very clever switched-on man. And he said, well, uh, hang on, you could be telling me anything. I will know if you can tell me the meaning of the dream if you can tell me what the dream is. And they protest, well, nobody can do that. But Nebuchadnezzar knew, hang on, if you can't tell me what I dreamt, how can you tell me what the, what it re- how can you know what it really means? And um, so all the wise men were going to be put to death. Now, Daniel, being one of the princes and uh, one of the intelligentsia of Israel, had been chosen for training uh, for, uh, as a wise man. And he was also going to be under the death decree. And so he prayed to God for God to reveal to him what the dream was. And uh, he approached the king and he said, and God answered that prayer. God revealed to Daniel what the dream was. And Daniel was able to approach Nebuchadnezzar and actually tell him what the dream was. And Nebuchadnezzar says this, that, that's true. That's what I dreamt. And Daniel actually recorded the dream. And the dream was that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt of a statue. The head was gold. The uh, chest was silver, the thighs were bronze, and the legs were iron, and the feet were made of iron and clay. And Daniel said, God has revealed to you, Nebuchadnezzar, what's going to happen to your kingdom and what the future of the world is. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is represented by the head of gold. You are going to be followed by an inferior kingdom, just uh, made uh, represented by the silver. So, a silver has less value, a bit inferior uh, to gold. Uh, you're going to be followed by a kingdom represented by silver. Then you're going to be represent followed by a kingdom that's a strong kingdom, like bronze, but uh, inferior again in terms of, I guess, refinement. But anyway, that was the the metal that was used. And then he said you're going to be followed by a very strong kingdom, um, which will be represented by two legs of iron. And then this kingdom will disintegrate into strong and weak kingdoms. So the feet were represented by a mixture of iron and clay together. So clay, of course, relative to iron, is very weak. And uh, iron, of course, is strong. And he said, these kingdoms will try to unite through marriage, but they will never unite. And then... In the dream, he saw this giant rock come and it hit the feet of the statue and smashed it to bits. And the rock then became a brand new place, a brand new world. And um, Daniel said, what happens is that God is going to return during the time 
of these lesser kingdoms, the iron and clay on the feet, and at that time the world will be destroyed and will be remade uh, by God for God's kingdom. And, you know, um, that was told to, to Daniel and the lives of the wise men were spared. And it's fascinating, of course, that the history reveals that's what happened. Um, 539 BC, the Babylonian kingdom was uh, conquered by Medo-Persia, which we understand represented the uh, the silver. Then, of course, Alexander the Great uh, conquered the Persian kingdom, uh, defeated Darius um, the Great, and the, the Greek kingdom took over. And then, of course... We know that the Greek kingdom uh, was uh, defeated and uh, taken over by the Roman kingdom, which was an extreme. Rome was an extremely strong kingdom, you know, the Roman forces. But it's interesting, the Roman Empire was divided into two, the Eastern Western Empire, one capital Rome, one capital Constantinople, which then, of course, became Istanbul. And, of course, those countries that were part of the Roman Empire then... Uh, with the different invasions, uh, became the countries of Europe. And, of course, even despite um, the formation of the European Union, not all the countries joined it. Switzerland, for example, there are many countries that didn't join the Union. They've never been able to unite. And so we know that we're in the last days now. So it's interesting how these great scientists that provided much of the information to us, particularly in the area of fields, gravitational fields, electromagnetic fields and so forth, which are essential and for which there is no known explanation for the origin of fields, were also extremely devout Christians and studied the Bible intensely. And I believe that God inspired those people with um, those amazing ideas. Uh, matter of fact, many inventions have uh, been inspired by thoughts and, and ideas and, in some cases, dreams. Now, of course, we've been talking um, about the book In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation. And we'll continue with looking at some of those scientists in the next session. I hope that you all, those of you who were listening in the previous episode, looked up the work of John uh, Baumgardner, um, the, uh, the uh, physicist who uh, was working at the Los Angeles uh, National Laboratory. Because remember, he was the chief developer of the, develop- of the Terra Code, T-E-R-R-A Code, a 3D finite element program for modelling the Earth's mantle. And he is a creationist and he... Uh, has done a lot of work explaining how the flood fits in, the biblical flood fits in with the modern modern geology. And remember, you can find his article by just go to creation.com. On their search engine, go to In Six Days and then click on the name John Baumgartner. Well, you've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.